Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and I am joined by Lyndon Purcell, uh, who hopefully some of you are aware of. I say this all the time when I have a, a new guest on the show. Hopefully you're aware of, or I'm sure you're aware of, and Lyndon is someone who I'd like you to be aware of. Obviously, everyone who comes on the show, I definitely want you to be aware of. And uh, that's because he is an incredibly smart individual, uh, very humble, as he, as you'll find out, and uh has some really interesting thoughts and insights into many of the things we're going to be talking about today. And he is the co-presenter for JPS Mentorship. So many of you may know JPS, you know, Jacob Skepis, the guys over there. Um, I always view Lyndon kind of as Jacob's kind of like right-hand man or something along those lines, like uh, the, the smarts behind Jacob. Jacob's just the front. So uh, Lyndon is the smarts. Uh, he is the JPS education content creator. He has a master's in high performance uh, sports science, a bachelor of applied science, uh, exercise and sports science, a strength and conditioning coach, ASCA level one, for those of you who know what that is, an FMA level one as well, I suppose these are Australian qualifications. Uh, and the, the big reason we're having uh, Lyndon on, we wanted him on anyway, but a big reason we're getting him on now is to make you very much aware that him and Jacob are coming over um, on July 14th, which is a Sunday. Uh, so hopefully many people are free to bath and we'll be doing a contest prep seminar, kind of releasing our complete guide. Many of you hopefully will be aware that we've been working relentlessly at this ebook for actually now years, um, kind of mm. me and Jacob discussed it at, well, and Lyndon uh, that we were gonna create this and we've just basically been nurturing it over a long period of time. Uh, during that time, obviously lots of other ones have come out, but we've been relentlessly building ours to be what we think is going to be a, the ultimate guide essentially is what we want it to be and that's what we're going to be presenting on so if you do want to come and see Jacob see Lyndon see myself and Pascal present that'd be amazing uh we, you will also get the contest prep ebook which is the day it's being released uh, you also get free access to the JPS education online physique contest prep course which myself and Pascal uh, kind of contributed to uh, which is super exciting as well they're doing fantastic work over there so Lyndon without further ado anything else you want to say anything else uh, about Lyndon you want the people to know uh, I would I would just like to say you are 100% right I'm the brains behind the whole operation <laughs> down here um, Jacob I wouldn't even say is a pretty face to be honest so um, no I, honestly that's a, that's a very <laughs> So, yeah, huge quotes. <laughs> no, that's a very flattering um, introduction. Thank you. I appreciate that. Awesome. That's so if we want to jump into something you'll be presenting on when you come over to Bath, which is the physiology of physique contest prep, which I think is yeah. getting at least a lot of our audience are aware of the lot of things that are going on and we're getting more and more educated on how to attenuate a lot of those things. But uh, having looked over your sections of the ebook and the amount of detail you go into, I think there's things a lot of people don't even consider. But if we start off kind of the considerations before even entering a contest preps to know that you're in a good state physiology, physiologically and then go into what changes we can expect and then maybe we can yeah. go into strategies around those. Yeah, for sure. So um, for starters, I, I would like to just, as you said, people are becoming more aware of physiology and the term is starting to click and resonate with people. People sort of hear physiology and they're starting to turn their heads. Um, it's, I think we do just need to be aware of like what it actually means. Like it, it, we are really just describing like the processes that are occurring on a cellular level, like how our body is, is ultimately functioning between, you know, cells, tissues, organs, that kind of thing. So 
just because someone, I guess, puts up a post about fat loss physiology or muscle growth physiology doesn't necessarily tell you much about it. Like, and I, I feel like a lot of people are starting to use the term somewhat as bit of a marketing sort of ploy. Um, so that's really what a lot of my presentation is going to be about sort of thing is just like what, even now that science has become sexy, like how, how can we still strip science down to like what it just is actually telling us. So when it comes to, I guess, being in a, in a very, uh, we want to be in probably like a stable physiological state. That's, I guess, at least a good starting point. So anything, anything that disturbs our, our comfort zone in physiology, our, our homeos, homeostasis is hopefully a term that most people are aware of now. Anything that disturbs homeostasis, we can basically uh, deem as a stress. And in order to for our body to sense that it is not in a stressful place, we pretty much for the last at least recent history, we don't want to have tried to have changed it in any way, which is um, like I've just finished going through obviously your section of the book and just making sure it obviously lines up with the, obviously the terminology that Jacob and I have been using and and you talk about primer phases and like I think the way at least I likened a primer phase to my section of the book is it's is it's like doing the tutorial before like the rest of the game sort of thing. It's like, yeah, the easy levels or like those first few stages of a contest prep or a diet or like this doesn't have to be for, um, contest prep related specifically, but just like physique development. Um, those first few weeks, even months of a diet are going to be relatively, you know, easy comparatively at least. So why not just jump straight in? But that's, you don't do the tutorial just to be able to pass the first two levels. You do the tutorial so you understand what you actually need to do. So, okay, this button's kick, this button's punch. And then when you're playing those first few levels, because you've already got a grasp on the key concepts, you can just work on ingraining them and then they're ingrained by the time you need them. Whereas, yeah, sure, you could have progressed to those first few weeks regardless, but because you were sort of figuring it out as you go, by the time you need it to be ingrained, it's like, well, now you're up against something that is really challenging. Um, so that did not answer your question, but basically we don't, we want to be, we don't want to have, I guess, any substantial diet history behind us. That's probably the biggest one. Secondly, you want to be relatively lean. So, and those, so obviously those are rather paradoxical. It's hard to be relatively lean without having diet history behind you. And I think this is one of the reasons that contest prep should be respected. And obviously, again, this is something you, you talk about a lot of just doing a good job of what you do and making sure the right people are getting involved. Like it's so easy to start a contest prep or so easy to start. I don't think it should be like you, a contest prep should be relatively easy if you do all the hard work before that. And the hard part is ultimately getting lean without having dieted extensively. So I think if you can take care of that, you can set yourself up for just much more smooth sailing. Like, and we can talk about nutraceutical concordance and 
you know, ways to mitigate metabolic adaptation and things like this. But ultimately, if you're not stressing your body out, you've given it plenty of food, but you're not, you know, 20% over stage weight, then you can at least have a pretty good run at it. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to have that initial consideration because I I think a lot of people do start a, oh, I'm a bit out of shape. I need to lose some weight. Oh, let's just start a prep. But it's like, well, that's going to be a year-long diet or you're going to be losing at a radical pace and end up having terrible performance and losing substantial amounts of muscle and it's going to be hell for you. And I know my we we're talking off air about my first contest prep where uh, my girlfriend Charlotte almost left me and this is because... I didn't have a, a strong, solid base to start from. I was way over fat. I had a lot of weight to lose. So I think it just put so much credence to your kind of contest prep starts in the off season where you mm. actually manage things in an effective manner to get to a point where you're having that primer, where you're kind of getting everything in shape, in line, um, resensitization, a lot of the kind of physiology, putting it into a nice homeostasis so that you can start your comp prep from a really solid, strong base. Uh, so yeah, I think that is the first thing to consider. Um, and then once we start dieting, what kind of changes are we seeing to our physiology once we start stressing, once we start going to a caloric deficit, what do we see happen? Um, and then maybe talk about like rates of loss uh, and as, as well, that'd be kind of interesting to hear. Yeah, yeah. So probably the easiest, the easiest place to start a framing this conversation is around where our energy expenditure comes from. So like obviously we've got our basal metabolic rate, we've got exercise activity thermogenesis, we've got our non-exercise activity thermogenesis and our thermic effect of food. Basically they all start shrinking. So regardless of how we go about it, how optimally we design our, our protocol, they all start getting smaller. Um, but as we said, those first few stages should be relatively trouble-free. Um, and so those first few weeks, if you've gone for the sort of at least the range of optimal deficit, you might lose 1% to 2% that first week or two. But then over time, we probably want to be start looking towards that 1%, maybe 1.5% per week. And this is, again, we're talking averages. Um, but then probably once, you know, you're at least like moderately lean to the average individual, I'd be erring on the side of sort of 0.7 to 1% per week. And then over time, really just getting towards that 0.5 as you get leaner and leaner. And then I think you've put some, some excellent posts up in the past about, you know, when you're in that last third leg of the prep, something like that, like scale weight changes can be microscopic and like you need to be using a number of other variables to deal with that. But when it comes to changes on physiological level, we've, we've got, I guess, all the sort of the ones that probably most people are aware of, but we can start elucidating them a little bit more. Um, leptin drops relatively quickly. Like there's a substantial drop in, you know, less than a week of dieting and then it will, so that's related to acute energy availability. And then as, as the diet progresses, leptin is basically proportional to how much fat we have in our body. And leptin is known as a satiety hormone, but it, it does so many more other things than that. So 
leptin also strongly relates to, to energy expenditure and it, um, it stimulates, I think, brown adipose tissue as well, which is something that, which is basically tissue that stimulates heat, but not energy production sort of a thing. So we've got, which is a, where a lot of metabolic adaptation actually starts to come into it. So one of the issues, issues, um, homeostasis, uh, sorry, like physiologically, it's brilliant. Like it's one of the reasons that our bodies learn to survive over these years. But as, you know, physique athletes and people looking to get diced, these issues start popping up when our body starts producing less and less heat and more and more energy with the resources it's given. Um, so the question was, what are the physiological changes that start happening? I could dig into that a little bit, actually. I think that's interesting because you talked about, obviously, leptin's one of the, the physiological things that we see. It, it drops, and you talked about the heat sort of element of that um, and heat yep. kind of thermogenesis that is kind of related. And a lot of people, just as a, maybe as a bit of a tangent, I guess, but a lot of people in contest prep, I, certainly in my first contest prep, I can remember times at which I was so cold. It's just like horrendously cold. Second mm. contest prep, when I had the primer phase, I, I did things a bit more cleverly. There was very few periods at which I was very cold, which is brilliant for peak week. I mean, that's a whole different subject. But when I was peaking, when I was really cold, horrendous. Um, there's so many mm. issues with not being able to actually get warm during kind of a, a, on show day. But is that related? A lot of people think of getting cold is because of the fact you have less fat. But how much is it yeah. that and how much is it, is it actually related to the fact that we're seeing some of these adaptations? Oh, yeah, it's it's definitely all tied together. So fat, yeah, it does provide insulation, uh, as you said. So it's sort of that is how effectively we can keep our heat production in. However, there is just that reduction in heat production. So like fat is also metabolic, metabolic, uh, metabolically active tissue. So there's some reduced heat production there, as well as some interesting things that you know, are just going on at a mitochondrial level and things like that. So you've got uh, increased proton leak, which is basically uh, – so at any, any period of time, we've got – so we've got the inner membrane of the mitochondria, okay? Now, hopefully your listeners are aware of what the mitochondria is. So we've got, we've got a mitochondria, sorry, I'll start bigger. And then we've got the outer membrane and then the inner membrane. Basically, we get, uh, we produce protons through, through various biochemical pathways in the inner membrane of the mitochondria. And they then uh, get pumped out to the other side, sorry, pumped out of the other side of the inner membrane, inner membrane of the mitochondria to the intermembrane space. Are you following me? Sorry, my brain is still obviously waking up. So now they're in between, in between the, the two membranes and the mitochondria. Now they come back in via an enzyme called ATP synthase, and that is how we produce our energy. So what happens is we, we end up with so many protons or hydrogen ions in that space. As, as we know, our body likes homeostasis. And if, if it has a very high concentration of protons in this area and a very low concentration here, they like to get back in. And when 
they come back in, the way they come back in is through the enzyme ATP synthase. So basically they come through this turbine-shaped enzyme and as the protons come through it, they make it spin and basically what it does is it grabs it an ADP and a phosphate and just sort of jams them together and cool, hey, cool, now we've got ATP. However, as, as we diet more and more, and this all sort of produces heat and there's lots of things going on in the body at the same time. As we diet more and more, more of those protons, um, the, the way that that, uh, the way that that changes is we get a decreased proton leak. Sorry. So over time or through just through regular dieting and just regular eating, we have a number of protons that just seep through the membrane Mm -hmm. back into the, inner membrane and once they're in there they get oxidized and burned and basically these calories get burned and heat gets produced however as we diet and energy becomes more and more scarce the proton leak reduces so we get for the same amount of heat production we start producing more atp because more of them have to come back through that atp synthase enzyme complex Sorry, I did a bad job of explaining <laughs> that. No, I think you you made like it's it's complex. Like these things, like people know, oh yeah, I get cold. And it's like, well, actually, do you know all the physiology behind that? Again, like a sciencey term that's being oversold. A lot of people mm. don't actually understand, and I don't understand uh, to the degree that you do all of that that's going on. And what I'm seeing there is, and a lot of the reason, um, the things we're talking about in that a lot of the things that are happening to the body are like survival strategies. We're becoming more efficient at producing energy. And so the body also doesn't want to waste as much. So you get colder. Um, Just like a lot of people, like right now I'm like almost peak mass and I'm basically sweating all the time. And it's just horrendous because the body is just like, it wants to burn off this energy because right now Mm. it wants to try and fight you to get back down. So it's just some of these, these things we see go on and it's kind of like, well, when you know the rationale behind why it's happening, it's a bit less scary. Whereas I think, mm. especially for people who are, and hopefully we're helping people with this book who have never done a contest prep and they can read it and they can be like, oh, right, okay. So a bit getting cold is like a normal response. I'm not just weird and <laughs> this isn't like, this should actually, this is fine to be happening. Um, mm. In terms of other things, so obviously we talked to kind of like hunger, energy levels, talk about some of the kind of the things like libido, testosterone levels, what kind of can we expect there? Yeah, so ultimately it's it's all bad news. <laughs> <laughs> that hunger will start increasing, uh, libido will start going down, testosterone will start going down. That They're all going to be dietary and lifestyle related. So uh, provided you have adequate fat in your diet, you probably still you know will have some uh, at least – decent sex hormone production like your testosterone testosterone still should be doing its thing it's all going to be relative obviously to the person of how lean they're starting um as we've spoken uh before off air like now if you started a contest prep or when you'll start your next contest prep sort of a thing like you'll probably have quad separation hopefully before you you know you start feeling anything too dramatic but before like you the first time you prepped you probably didn't even have a bicep vein before you were being like fuck this is going to hell um so in the early stages of prep 
I still would like to think like people wouldn't be experiencing these things to, to too much of a dramatic degree. Yes, you may get some hunger, but a lot of that will be just habitual in nature. Like it's very common to sort of for those first one to three weeks to be like, man, I'm hungry and I've just started a diet sort of thing. But then it's sort of, you forget about it and Mm -hmm. you really start to find your rhythm. And then, you know, hopefully that continues for another couple of months. Testosterone can be iffy, um, at least just like anecdotally, because, you know, we're working with people here in the gym. Um, we're not getting blood panels and that sort of a thing. You know, theoretically I can, I can talk to you about what testosterone may or may not do, but there's this weird sort of thing, I guess, about the male libido. Um, I won't pretend to be an expert on the female libido, that's for sure. Uh, the male libido is when they, you know, they start dieting and as they get increasingly leaner and leaner, they start feeling a little bit better. Like, you know, they start posting a few more selfies on Instagram, a few more late night Snapchats, that kind of a thing. But then they reach that point and it really reverses. And so like theoretically their testosterone should be dropping, but, you know, maybe with aromatase conversion and and reducing some of that body fat testosterone might go up a little bit. It's just going to depend on those, those lifestyle factors. But I think, yeah, ultimately people shouldn't be trying to, to juice their testosterone up by taking massively high amounts of fat in, but also just really not expecting it to plummet. Like if we do a, a term I like using when speaking about physiology is we try to coax it along. Like you never really want to try and change it or disrupt it in any major way because when it comes to physiology, for for every gimme, there's a gotcha. If you try to take more, it will take greater amounts back. So you're really trying to just uh, live within your means or whatever that saying is. Um, Yeah, not live beyond your means. Just drop at the rate that you can sustain that isn't going to start causing you to to start fighting with your girlfriend because you're moody or start disrupting your sleep. If you can keep all those things in play, like you can, yeah, you can really can keep these anabolic hormones up and keep those hunger hormones at bay. I think where we start to run into more physiological problems is once the psychology becomes disrupted. If that, you know, because they're so closely relinked, are so closely linked, anything that is starting to cause you psychological stress is probably going to have, uh, you know, there's going to be a greater production of say things like cortisol and things like this on a physiological level. And that is where it it does actually start to get pear shaped because cortisol and and just other catecholamines, not just cortisol should be uh, demonized. It does start to do, I guess, all the, the bad things that we don't want to happen. Um, again, did I answer your question? Yeah, I think, well, at least it really, the, the coaxing I think is brilliant because I, I don't know where I heard the necessary, the phrase was kind of like coax the body, don't shock the body. And I think a lot of times mm. when people go into diets, like the yo-yo diet is the shock and then they quickly get what you talked about, the 
for every gimme you got a gotcha, which sounds like a bit of an Australian phrase. Um, I'm not sure if it is, but it sounds typically Aussie. I really like it because uh, you, there isn't, it's like any concept within biology. There isn't with any response, there's kind of yin and a yang. There's a stress response. Uh, even things that deem themselves like unstressful, like being in a calorie surplus, you think, oh, that's not stressful. It's actually, yes. there is a stress related to that because it's taking away from homeostasis. So I really mm-hmm. like that. And there are little things like I can even anecdotally say I've had clients in contest prep where they seemingly haven't lost weight for like four weeks when you kind of know they're in a deficit. And then I just like, okay, I adjust the calories down just a hundred kind of with an inkling that like just maybe it was just an element of the psychology of that person. Then they were like less stressed that next week. So like I'm down a hundred calories. So maybe I'm going to lose more this week. And then it just seems to come off. And I think that is part of what you were talking about there. And I guess this is part of attenuating some of these changes that are going on is do small little adjustments and that should be manageable because you've put yourself in a good state from the get-go. You shouldn't have to make anything drastic going on there. Yeah, I think that's um, probably something that we're trying to do with that primer phase beforehand or just that that phase of no pushing the body in any in any direction we're just letting it run its course the way it wants to sort of thing is we're, we're somewhat creating a more robust physiology like i guess whenever you're you're trying to pull it in any direction which we tend to do as as strength athletes or as physique athletes it's always like oh, if i'm not getting bigger i've got to get stronger if i'm not getting stronger and i'm not getting bigger then i've got to get leaner like it's it's kind of like we're very simple individuals at a fundamental level. It's like we've got three options, eat more, eat less, or lift more sort of a thing. Um, if you do just let the body chill out, then it, it does sort of, yeah, become a little more robust, a little more able to sustain what's to come. But as we know with sort of just recovery in general, just because now we've got an ability to sustain more doesn't mean we should be doing more sort of a thing. It's kind of like if you buy up all that that physiological space to sort of start using rather abstract terms and then we can just keep edging away, chipping away, chipping away and just it's going to be a much longer time before we start running into hurdles at that rate rather than just trying to, to walk a knife, sedge, you know, having finished a really stressful 16-month bulk or something like that physiology is just feeling tanked and sorry before I actually finish that thought it's I think it's probably more important to jump in with this is there's so much more to physiology than just what we uh, conceive as again what we do in the fitness industry like yes if if you're not dieting sure it's probably a good good idea to be in calorie surplus or calorie maintenance but you know, what about other like just general health metrics? Like are you getting taken care of like your blood pressure? How's all your hormones? How's like just because you've been in a, in a mass doesn't mean that your hormones are going to be in a, a great position. Like if you're drinking alcohol multiple times a week, you're not managing your stress. Well, you're not sleeping super well, you know, you're fluctuating between how much and how often you train all these things like there's, there's really is big rocks when it comes to physiology. And I think for the ones that are appropriate here, it's stress management, training, dieting, cardio, something like that, sleep. And there's no guarantee that just because you've been 
in a calorie surplus, all those things will be taken care of. So, yeah, I think that that's where, again, I'll drum on about this till the cows come home, but you do need to start getting those things settled uh, during that primer phase because once the challenges of contest prep start coming up, as they certainly will, to bring it back to physiology is if you start running into hurdles and these things stress you out psychologically, this will have a profound effect on your physiology. Now, to go back to cortisol, yes, we know it as a, as a catabolic hormone that you know, destroys all our hard-earned muscle tissue, but it also converts, uh, it also has an effect on thyroid hormone and it, it uh, reduces the production of thyroid-stimulating hormone, so there isn't going to be as much thyroid hormone produced. And it also influences the the form that sorry, I just need to put this jumper on and put it no on through my shoulders. Um the it also influences what form thyroid hormone takes. So we've got T4, T3, reverse T3, and ultimately like we want T3. That's that's the one that's going to do the job that we want. It's going to keep our uh, metabolic rate up. You know, it has a role in protein synthesis, all these things. But as we get more and more stressed, cortisol production, as I said, starts inhibiting how much thyroid hormone is produced and it starts converting T4 into reverse T3, which is basically blocking up all the receptors where we want T3 binding. So it's like we're getting less produced and now of the thing that we want binding, less of that has a place to bind to, as well as all the other catabolic effects of uh, cortisol and has centralizing effects of adipose tissue as well. So it's like you could be losing muscle, losing fat off your arms, and then restoring fat on your abs to sort of paint a very bad picture. But I guess like what I want people to take away from this is not that cortisol is the devil, is unmanaged stress is the devil basically. So we really do need to be stacking the odds in our favor of, okay, what can possibly come up? What can possibly trip me over? What can derail this prep? Understanding what stresses you can tolerate, how you can go about them. Like, what what is the harm in being over prepared? Like just you know taking taking some time, getting it all sorted, and then yeah, physiologically and psychologically, and then sure you have a smooth sailing prep. Like like I've heard I've heard people complain about like hiring a coach, and then the prep went smoothly, like almost flawlessly, and they're like, huh, I didn't need him. I was like, what? <laughs> like. A contest prep is like retarded. Like it's not advised for beginners. Yeah. So like if it goes smoothly, be like fucking fantastic. Like I'm so glad that I was prepared. I haven't, you know, destroyed my psychology, you know, my body, anything like that. If you come out of it scar-free, then you've done very well. So yeah, I, I do just, 
I've made the point numerous times now, but get yourself sorted physiologically, psychologically, and then hopefully have someone guide you through the process in a, a relatively competent manner, at least read the ebook. Um, and yeah, you definitely set yourself up for success much more or reduced negative trade-offs. That's for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think, um, in terms of when we're going through the prep, what are some of the strategies that you think are useful to attenuate some of the, just the inevitable increases in prep? Obviously we talked about kind of starting off in a good place and potentially solidifying some habits, but what are some of the kind of the habits, the routines, the structure, um, the elements that we can help ourselves maybe all the way up to potentially even supplementation. I guess there could be some things that we could do there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So things that we need to be, I guess, doing with a contest prep, we we should probably start there. It's like, we need to in a calorie deficit as we know, like just everyone will know that, but just so we're all on the same page, we're probably going to be doing some cardio. We're probably going, what we're going to be doing some training. So things that, and we need to be sleeping and managing stress. So if we, if we look at all those things, what is going to help us do those things? So the habits and routines, regardless of physiology is going to be more important. What, what clicks with you psychologically from my observations and working with people and people within JPS, it seems to be much easier to get that sort of cardio in probably in the early half of the day, at least just, just from my perspective from what I've seen or at least like get the body moving like you don't want to sort of end up at 4 p.m. and being like I've still got 10,000 steps to do today or still got an hour of cardio like if you can start chipping away that movement early in the day that's great and even if it is just getting up and going for a walk around the block and then you make your breakfast like just start chipping away at that get that blood flowing You, you like you start to feel pretty good in the morning. Um, oh, sorry, you can feel pretty good in the morning. Um, and then if you can obviously backload some of that food later half of the day, that can help keep you up. So I think, yeah, getting that cardio in whenever, um, like this is one of those things where the science, science community has sort of pushed back a little on the fasted cardio idea where it's what. It, do, it does just work like in the way that it's sort of, sorry, it's, it's easy for people to execute. And if they're believing that there is some inherent fat burning benefit to getting that cardio in before they eat a meal, I'm not going to sit here and say that isn't happening. So we're, we're super aware now of like the placebo effect and the influence our psychology can have on our, um, on our physiology. And if anyone doesn't believe me on that. I highly recommend you go and read. Uh, there's an article on Stronger by Science, Greg Knuckles' website, that just talks about the influence of psychology on physiology and the the different results that participants got in a study when basically they were they thought they either had a bad gene for aerobic exercise or for obesity. And then uh, there's another one he wrote about in an article a while back about a group of lifters thinking they got steroids and it was, it was just placebo. And as we know, the placebo effect is an effect and it's a very, very beneficial effect. So if you're getting up 
and I know I'm kind of defeating the purpose of the placebo effect by telling Tell people to, to placebo <laughs> themselves. But if you're, you're, if you're a coach uh, listening to this and you have contest prep athletes, don't be so quick to be like, oh, you don't have to do your cardio in the morning. Like it, do, it doesn't actually help with fat burning. Like if they're keen to do it and they think it's going to enhance their fat burning, you're not necessarily lying because, yeah, they, they are burning a greater percentage of fat. Um, as we know, like it probably might all equal out in the wash. But, yeah, I think getting up, having some kind of consistent activity probably in the morning and the evening is the easiest thing to, to start looking at for cardio. Like if it's a walk before you eat a meal and then you're structured cardio in the evening, that's fine. But I, I just wouldn't be lumping all your physical activity into one part of the day because that's when you will just push that body beyond that little boundary that it that it's set up for itself and you you might just snap and you feel that that oh man I'm so fatigued today it's like yeah you did that extra five ten minutes of cardio and you did not have that in you and that extra five minutes you may have burned 12 more calories that may mean, mean you sit on your bum for the rest of the day and burn 80 calories less so it's not just about uh, looking at things on long time scales and being like, uh, you know, we can't push our physiology too far by, by running a bulk straight into a deficit. It's also just about within the day, like our physiology is changing minute by minute, second by second. So just not trying to take that too much at any stage. Um, so if that's cardio, same sort of deal with weight training. Like you're going to have to push it hard, but you can't push it hard all the time. So making sure you just have your deloads in place, having a good understanding of uh, your volume landmarks and things like that will ensure you're doing your physiology justice. Um, stressing enough, but not too much. Most people probably just again, speaking anecdotally and from observation start to lift a little better once I've got at least one or two meals in. So maybe, you know, maybe you train on your lunch break or something like that. I, I, I know our, our work style is very fortunate. Like we sort of mm -hmm. were in a gym all day. So it, it's hard to start, you know, comparing to the average individual, but it's like, if you're a uni student or if you're at work, yeah, maybe the middle part of the day is the best bet for starting to train. If you leave it to the evening, you really might be hauling ass by then struggling and you just like you're so mentally fatigued from trying to just concentrate with low blood glucose for the entire day that it's not your best chance of stimulating what you need to stimulate in the gym. So a meal or two, place you can have some caffeine, that's obviously going to help. We know that's very beneficial. Maybe biasing, something like 60-40. If someone can train in the middle of the day, I do try and skew their calories to sort of like a, you know, 30 to 40% before 60 to 70% afterwards. Like it's just the way nutrient partitioning works is basically you're going to partition it more favorably if you eat it more recently after training. Okay. Like, yeah, we know calories in calories out on a daily basis at all. It all doesn't matter, but it's, Calories in, calories out really just tells us about the mass of the entire system. So we can do various things, obviously, to store those calories more favorably. 
And, you know, if we're looking at uh, someone's nutrient partitioning and they trained at midday the day before and they're training at midday today, it probably doesn't make a ton of sense to eat a lot of calories in that that first half of the day before midday um, because it's still a relatively long period of time since their previous training session. You know, so you maybe eat a smaller amount of your calories before your training session. And then once you stimulate uh, muscle protein synthesis, GLUT4, um, the ability to, to pull glucose into the cell where you want it to, you know, that's when we start loading up on the calories a little bit more again. Then something like when it comes to stress management, I do find it hard to go past just the recommendation of like daily meditation or like just, just download the app Headspace, something like that, waking up by Sam Harris and like do three to five minutes of that every day. Like just find a period of the day when you can do that and then what you learn and the benefits you gain from that meditation practice, trying to employ that throughout the rest of the day. Like that is the real, I think, benefit of meditation is it's not the acute, oh, cool, I feel better now. Like because if you just then go and do that and then as you're walking out your bedroom door, you bang your hip on the door, which I do all the time, um, then you're like, oh, fuck, and then you're just pissed off and you're in bad mood again. Like the whole purpose of meditation is just sort of like realizing – Look at me talking about like the whole purpose of meditation, like I'm some kind of enlightened guru. Um, <laughs> <A> yogi. <laughs> one of the one of the benefits is just understanding and sort of observing thoughts without letting them, without connecting to them too much. And so it's like if you start employing that that meditative practice sort of throughout the rest of the day, it's like when you have a bad moment, when you're stuck in traffic, when you know, when you drop your perfectly tracked meal all over the floor, you're just like okay, I can deal with this. Like this is just, this rise in anger is just temporary. This, you know, this, these unpleasant feelings will pass. There's reasons for them, but they will go. I can still continue with, with the job that I need. Um, so I do think, yeah, like it's, it is a bit gurui, but the whole meditation thing and is just, I think, a good idea. It's a very simple practice for, anyone to do, but particularly comp prep athletes. And there's just decent research behind it now. Like there is plenty of studies on how it is just positively affecting people, whether it be in the workplace or there was, um, there was a study that showed like greater strength gains and they did, uh, like girth measurements. So it's not a great measure of muscle growth, but like better, um, girth measurement outcomes in a group of lifters that were that were meditating as well as again, just the synergistic effects it starts to have with other things. Like, uh, in one study they showed meditation increased pro-social behavior. And as we know with contest prep, you start to just become a recluse. Like, and if you're someone that's on that more side of the spectrum, like I am, you, you can't, you haven't got a lot of wiggle room on that side. Like, I'm already likely to spend 18 hours a day in my room. Like I start dieting and it's like, oh, I haven't seen Lyndon in three months. Like hopefully he's still alive sort of. A thing. <laughs> um, so being just really self-aware 
can really set yourself up for success. And again, this sort of ties back into that primer phase. It's like if you're not spending, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours in the gym in a week, you can actually start to learn who you are as a person, what you want to do when you're not in the gym, and then that will give you a greater ability to detect, okay, what are the things that I'm not willing to sacrifice in my life? Like, oh, wow, some of these friends actually do mean the world to me when I spend time with them. I'm going to actually try and continue to spend time with them throughout a contest prep. Like we put this, this big sort of roadblock in our way of always constantly trying to push our nutrition, our dieting, getting our meals in, got to get to bed early, still get to bed early. Actually, that's a non-negotiable, um, that we sort of, we get a bit disconnected with who we are and what our life is. So I think if you have a good understanding of that before you get into it, you're going to have a much more successful outcome. Well, I really didn't think I'd be on the Revive Stronger podcast talking about meditation. <laughs> <laughs> you did say it could go get a bit hippie and philo- some philosophy mm. coming out. So, um, no, I, I really liked it because especially when I was hearing you talk through lots of the ideas about kind of getting your cardio in early, lots of these kind of prioritizing your nutritional timing. These are small details that if people aren't at all aware of, can get them in a very stressed state very quickly. I can remember like during my prep, like I would, this is routine and structure. I would go for a walk first thing in the morning for half an hour, get a bunch of steps out of the way. Because when you have like, if you're using step targets, if you have 15,000 steps to get in and you've got 10,000 to get in and it's like 9 PM and you've got to go to bed. Well, yeah, you're going to get to bed in like an hour. That's, you're not going to get that done. It's just, it's not going to happen. Whereas if you can front load some of these stressors, um, get some of them out of the way, it can be really beneficial. And with the fasted cardio, I think even the fact that you get to somewhat kind of push your fasting window a bit later so you don't have to eat as much, I mean, yep. uh, or you get to eat in a smaller window, that helps adherence as well. So these are kind of some of the more art things that maybe a coach can really, really? help you with, like Lyndon would be able to help you with, that maybe you can get some inklings from the book, but um, that's something that you have to kind of work out for yourself. So I think that's that's really cool. And the, the meditation is, the I guess, the big kind of push on it during prep is just because of all these stresses that are going on, like your physiology is such in a place that like hanger is a term that many people are aware of. Like it's a a real thing. You're on edge a lot of the time because the body's in kind of like fight or flight mode. It's in that kind of, I need to hunt, I need to eat. Um, I don't want to be sleeping, those sort of things. So I think that's, yeah, all really well said. Um, Is there anything from what we've said here, I think it's always important, especially because we're talking about physiology, any differences between male and females that you think are worthwhile to point out for people? Um, I, I wouldn't like to comment too much, I guess, on the, the physiological differences between male and female. I guess I would feel more comfortable commenting on how they tend to go about their preps. So just on average, I've seen far better outcomes from females when they just dial down that that cardio specifically um, and then push their body a little more with the resistance training side of things. Whereas men probably are the opposite, okay? Um, there seems to be some kind of uh, like, look how lean I got without doing cardio kind of um, – 
you know, pissing contest that goes in, goes on. And I think men are guilty of that, uh, to a very large degree, but cardio does some absolutely fantastic things. Um, like even outside of physique oriented, like it literally helps us grow more neurons in our brain. Like there are just absurd things that happen when we are physically active and aerobic activity is one of the most or probably the most well-studied activity. Like it's much more well-studied than resistance training and there's just profound amounts of benefits from it. So I think men should be a little more open to the idea of doing slightly more cardio and women should be slightly more open to the idea of maybe doing a little bit less and pushing their resistance training a little more. There are other physiological differences that would probably get me in trouble if I started talking about them because uh, sex difference is actually one of my favorite niches to study, but I would probably take it political very quickly. So <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, <laughs> I'll avoid that. I, it Ultimately, they are different and you get people sitting on either side of this fence on the argument. It's just like, no, women aren't just small men and you know, you can treat them the same. They're just, it's, they're just humans at the end of the day. And the truth lies somewhere between there. Like, yes, probably women's physiology is a little more, uh, quick to put up roadblocks. They, they do need to just, as we spoke about coaxing the physiology and just sort of like dropping bread comes and just being like, here, come on. So they're just, little steps, little steps, women's physiology probably just needs to be nurtured just that fraction more than men's. However, I, I see a lot of females that, that come into JPS or you know, contact me asking for help and they're, they're feeling like the weight of how hard it is for females to lose weight, like on their shoulders and just like, Oh, but females have it so much harder than men. Like they don't, they don't burn fat as easily, blah, blah, blah. But, and I'm like, but you want to compete against females. Like it's, you're not standing, you know, next to Phil Heath. Like, yeah, Phil can get leaner than you much more easily. You're not standing next to him on stage. Or it's like, even if you're just going to the beach, you're not comparing yourself to the six, four lifeguard. Like, you're comparing yourself to every other woman on that beach. Well, you probably shouldn't be. That's ultimately who you're comparing yourself to. So I don't think it's really a worthwhile discussion. Um, no, I shouldn't say it's not worthwhile. I don't think women should be worrying about it to the degree that they probably are, how difficult it is for them to lose fat because the comparison is to, is to other women, not men. Yeah, I think that's about all I'll say on the topic. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. I think the the idea of what we talked about here in terms of like homeostasis and survival, women are at the end of the day kind of the the people who are giving birth and they're they're leading to what are as a kind of I guess at the core of our reasoning that we're on earth to reproduce. So they're set up better for survival. So um they fight that a little bit harder. Um so it can get more tricky and I, I love the kind of anecdote of cardio as well because uh, I think men probably are a little bit more against it probably rooted in lots of kind of just 
like rooted from years ago, lesser from yeah. kind of some of the, the rationale behind bodybuilding or anything, just rooted in kind of the way we're brought up and the, our ideologies and principles. Same with females in doing more cardio because that's what women always did to get in shape. So I think it's very much rooted in that. So I think it's it's a good idea. And what you said there kind of to have that just as a, because we all probably have that slight bias in our head just because it's somewhat rooted there. So um, Lyndon, I want to say a massive thank you for coming on. Uh, this hour has gone really quickly and it's been really interesting talking about all these different aspects. Uh, and I want to encourage people. I think people will be encouraged to check out the Bath Seminar. We're going to be digging into a lot more detail than this. Uh, but if people want to find out more about yourself, Lyndon, uh, find out more of the information you're putting out, you write blog, art blog articles and things like this, where should they head? Uh, yeah, so to find more of my, I guess, educational content, just head to the, to the JPS website. It's like jpshealthandfitness.com.au, I think. Um, find my blogs there. I'm, I really enjoy writing. Um, so hopefully people enjoy reading them. Um, occasionally I'll be popping up on the YouTube channel, those kinds of things, but mostly if you're just paying attention to JPS on Instagram, JPS education, or if you want to find me on my own personal Instagram, that's up to you. Um, we'll link it below. We've got to know the username though. And where did that come uh, from? Like, Let's have a story. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my username for those who are unaware is, hot and dondrous so hot underscore and underscore dondrous um i get called don like lindon um and numerable other variations but it basically came from the kesha song like hot and dangerous right so it was just hot and dondrous and jacob has nagged me for at least two years straight to change it now um <laughs> and yeah every time he, every time he asked me to change it i go i just mark it down and go another month before i change it <laughs> so it's yeah i don't post a heap of uh i guess fitness related content on there like if you're going to be looking for infographics and information like that like there's there's far better people to follow than that I do like to use my Instagram as just obviously an extension of myself and things that I'm thinking about. Like it isn't just fitness related. Um, I, I, yeah, I would like to think of myself, I guess, as more of a thinker about problems just in general. Yeah. Probably my favorite way of thinking about problems is through the lens of fitness, health and fitness, physique, obesity, these kinds of things. But yeah, there'll definitely be some philosophical things on there or things that might push your buttons if you're interested in that. But yeah, no, thank you again for having me on, Steve. It was um, an absolute pleasure. Of course. Thank you guys for listening uh, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.